Oh man. So so uh, lightning and the burner, and and I see it every once in a while. I'll see a tweet where someone says like lightning versus fire, because like the burner is kind of like that fire icon. But the point is. We're, we're both on the same team and we're both moving toward better UX. So I like love the, night, the Lightning Network. Welcome everyone to POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Dude, I'm feeling a little bit sick, been doing a lot of traveling, and that's not stopping anytime soon, so trying to kick it. But we just had an amazing conversation with Austin Griffith, the creator of the XDAI Burner Wallet. David, why do you want, do you want to tell us what we talked about? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Uh, Austin kind of takes us through the progression of the Burner Wallet and the XDAI network and, and how it all works talks about the impetus for designing the whole thing like some of the design trade-offs that went into the burner wallet um, such as it being a web browser versus an app and it being on the POA network instead of Ethereum etc we talk a lot about user experience that's kind of one of the big themes of this episode and talking specifically about design trade-offs of the user experience of the burner wallet as well as uh, the global macro crypto ecosystem as a whole and what it's going to take for you know further user experiment experience improvements to to come about yeah austin talked a lot about how the very strong theme in 2019 is ux and i have to say that i personally have seen ux improve across the board uh wallets on my iphone nodes uh, plug and play nodes all that kind of stuff on the bitcoin side um, getting to really dive deep into what's happening on the scaling and UX side of uh, Ethereum and DAI is super, super cool. And the Burner Wallet really feels like electronic cash. Like his focus on making this as easy of, as a process as possible to give someone cryptocurrency on their phone is really awesome. So this is an audio-only podcast, but at the very end of this podcast, Austin sent Christian uh, a quarter and a non-fungible token. We're going to keep that in here because I think it's going to be kind of interesting to listen to. It doesn't take too much time because the burner wallet is just so fast. Uh, so, But yeah, that's at the at the end of, of the episode. We also take a big detour and talk about identity, uh, and I thought that was interesting. Um, but then we ultimately come back and, and finish it up with a, a lightning versus, versus uh, XDAI comparison, talk a little bit about the Bitcoin world. Um, yeah, overall, it was just a great conversation. So big props to Austin for coming on the episode. He's a great guy. I met Austin at East Denver, and he was just the, the celebrity of East Denver for creating the Burner Wallet. Um, the Burner Wallet had a huge role to play in East Denver, um, but uh, if you want to find out more about that, you're just going to have to listen to the episode. Awesome. Well, again, guys, this was a fantastic episode. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to take a moment here to shill Bitcoin 2019 conference. Uh, ETH Denver had was die activated per se, and we are working hard to make Bitcoin 2019 Lightning activated. We want to make it an incredible experience for you to use Lightning at a conference with you know all your favorite Bitcoiners around. Uh, David is going to be there. All your favorite guys are going to be there. POV has a discount code POV15 for 25% off. Don't ask me why the code is off. 
but it's for 25% off. A few of you have already purchased tickets with the code, so keep it coming, and we both look forward to meeting you in San Francisco in June. Cool. And without further ado, here's Austin Griffith. Austin, thanks for coming on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Austin, as we will have explained in the intro, is the creator of the XDAI wallet. Austin, can you kind of give our listeners, what was the motivation behind XDAI? Like, what was it for? Uh, who funded it? So, yeah, no one really funded it. <laughs> uh, well, XDAI, X, we, should, we should talk about, like, XDAI is, like, the network that POA made, right? And and then XDAI.io is the burner wallet. And so the burner wallet was something that, uh, I guess, it started in kind of, like, these these two phases or two two seeds were planted to, to create the burner wallet and the the first seed was just talking to my buddy Alejandro out in San Francisco about uh, like kind of Venezuela and getting getting a wallet into South American countries where uh, you know there there's hyperinflation and they're kind of stuck in 2014 so it would have to be a wallet that could work on old phones and then second to that also uh, that around that same time we were in San Francisco uh, I sat at a dinner with some very crypto initiated people and it came time to split the bill and none of those jabronis could could split the bill they all wanted to like use Venmo or something and it like it drove me nuts and I, I mean I had like I had a couple wallets I had trust I had coinbase I had a couple of those I could have done it but it still like takes a while right and it's a little clunky so so out of that, I basically went home and started thinking about it. And then on the plane to Prague was when the when the main development of the wallet happened. And if you Google uh, like Ethereum in emerging economies, there's this article that I wrote about kind of the the whole thing that spurred it with with Alejandro. And it's it's basically like the the first version of the wallet, the proof of concept was basically just like a QR code and then a send button. And that was it. And it ran on XDAI, this new network that had just came out of, I think, ETH Berlin from POA. And basically, you got five second block times, you've got super cheap, super cheap transactions, you've got uh, low cognitive overhead because it's pinned to die. And then on top of all of that, we stick a private key right in local storage. So it's basically just like a web wallet. It just it works on Safari on your phone. And when I went to Prague, I kind of wrote most of it on the plane on the way there. We got there and I just showed it to a few people thinking that it would be kind of like this fun little party trick to be able to send around this X die. And it and, and like people liked it. Like there was like this this aha moment where like even crypto initiated people realized that it was that easy to transact and it kind of just snowballed from there. Very cool. And before we get into the details of XDAI and the POA network, let's take a step back and see, like, how did you come to be at, at the spot where XDAI was a good idea? Like, where was your background in Ethereum? What else have you developed on? Uh, and kind of ex explain your, your background of developing on Ethereum and then how that kind of led into the XDAI um, uh, and uh, Burner Wallet. Word. Yeah. So uh, I, I started with games. Like I, I love building games. I love kind of like crafting the narrative and the artwork behind building a game. So I built a few games on Ethereum. Uh, one was called Galleass. It's like this hand-painted ship game. And another one is called, well, it's called Cryptogs, but it's basically pogs on the blockchain. And what I noticed, every time you play the game, there's so many MetaMask dialogues. And there's so much, like, the barrier to entry to get into those games is awful. You have to own ETH, and you know how you know how much of a struggle that, that was. Uh, you know, it's getting better, but, but a year ago it was awful. 
And then uh, just like the, the user interface of having to say yes to every transaction and then wait 15 to 45 to a minute and a half. The, it was just very clunky to be able to play a game. And then I kind of started trying to provide more value to the ecosystem, not just not just like making games, but doing something that was, you know, really had value. And it, and it led me to meta transactions and the way where we can we can sort of have an account that uh, doesn't have any ETH, but can use their key pair to sign transactions. And then those sign transactions can be used to, to actually go to chain. Someone else can pay the gas. And what happens is you get this cryptographically backed transaction and you don't have to have ETH to make that transaction. And that's pretty powerful. And then kind of farther and farther down the rabbit hole of user experience, I landed on XDAI, which is this, this side chain that was just like super fast and super easy to use. And it just it just all kind of clicked together that like, oh, this we can make a little wallet out of this and you can bridge in and you can use it for a little bit and then you can bridge out. And, you know, there, there's trade-offs, obviously. We're keeping private keys in local storage. <laughs> like, that's not a good idea to have a bunch of money, but it's perfect. It's perfectly analogous to cash where if you're going out for the night and you have like 10 or $20, obviously it sucks if you lose that, but it's not the end of the world. You don't go, you don't go out with like thousands of dollars rolled up with your car keys, right? So it's, it's very analogous to that. Don't put $1,000 in a burner wallet where, you know, the, the private key is generated on page load in a web browser. So something that, like I kind of played around with it a little bit and may have messed up a little bit, but um, something that the XDI wallet and kind of the experience reminded me of is really like kind of digital cash. Like you're literally holding onto that little like digital receipt and then you're passing it on and then that's it. You're, you're done with that wallet, um, which is really cool and really easy. Like where do you see this being having the biggest impact? It sounds like, you know, it does have a niche use case. Well, right now, like uh, crypto events, like ETH Denver, ETH Denver was awesome. We got like it, the if you think of sort of onboarding in terms of like the top of the funnel, like the most people that that could get uh, into crypto, you're probably going to have to do it in a web browser, right? If you if you try to if you try to hit somebody with an app download or you try to hit somebody with, hey, repeat this twelve word seed phrase back to me, it's like a hard stop for like ninety percent of the people that use it, right? So let's let's break down those barriers and let's basically just like give them a website that they're familiar with that feels like Web 2.0. Let them transact with small amounts of value, making this trade off for user experience. And then after they use it and they get used to it, then we can start you know playing that education play and say okay now maybe maybe you should get a real wallet maybe you should learn what a seed phrase is and we can kind of onboard people like that but the 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 top of the funnel is definitely the target there we want we want everybody to use it right it's just it's just getting people into crypto is so hard right now because the technology is so complicated and and fascinating but complicated so it's sort of like right now it's for conferences but we'd like to We'd, we'd like to kind of knock down the barrier into crypto and make it so anybody could use it, right? Like my, my Gam Gam should be able to pull up a, a burner wallet. She doesn't even have a cell phone. That's not a very good example. My mom, my mom should be able to, you know, split a pizza with me uh, with, with a burner wallet. It's, it's easy enough that like one of the devices I use is one of her old iPads and it works fine on that. So, so it's meant for mass adoption when, when mass adoption is ready for it, I guess. So like, how do you think that happens? Does that happen in Venezuela? Like people kind of passing that around? Does that happen in the United States with, you know, like people like us? Like, where does this, where do you think like the snowball effect starts? And what do you think is like the easiest, the path of least resistance for this XDAI wallet? That's a, that's a great question. So 
so like it would be great if it was better than Venmo, but I can't I can't say that it is. Like I, I don't I don't use Venmo enough. I've only used a burner wallet, so I don't have anything to compare it to. But I should probably do some research and figure out how to make this thing better than no Venmo. Venmo? But right now No Square Cash? N- no, no Venmo. No, none of that, dude. I just I only burners. <laughs> but but uh, you you hinted at something there, and it's basically you you only need decentralization when the government's trying to censor you, or you only need decentralization when someone's trying to take your identity. Like there's there's a lot of reasons why we live in a pretty great world where we are, and we kind of don't need decentralization in a lot of places. But there are other places in the world that do need decentralization, and I think that if if it were going to take off right now, it probably is either going to be like in the crypto scene at conferences or in these places, uh, kind of that need decentralization. Obviously, it would be great if it took off everywhere, but I think we're going to have to just really work on the UX and make it better and better and better until it's actually like better than Venmo. Yeah, speaking of the UX, and you kind of alluded to some of these things earlier, what were some of the design trade-offs that you had to think about while creating XDAI? Uh, so you mentioned making it a web browser. You mentioned local storage of private keys. Can you kind of go into those trade-offs and maybe any others that are not as obvious? So that's that's basically the key there is is that the the private the key uh, it's basically <laughs> like the private key is in local storage and that's the the major trade off you're you're making with with the wallet itself there's there's a lot less dialogues and stuff so if if I need to sign a message or I need to like set up a payment channel and make lots of signatures the the wallet's just gonna do that in the background we're we're only gonna prompt you if we like absolutely have to and and so far we don't really need to you 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 basically can just trust the send button is gonna do what it needs to do it's gonna sign a transaction it's gonna send it um, other trade-offs would be more with with the XDI network itself so you, you do have those fast block times you do have those cheap transactions you do have it pegged to a dollar but uh, there there are just three or four validators and, and we need more obviously and and one validator just can't like run off right you need you need a consensus to, to but they would have to all collude and there there's reasons why I think of um, the XDI network is kind of like a burner network too where you get in you use it for what you need it and then you you bridge out same reason why you don't carry thousands of dollars around in your pocket so yeah, let's actually talk about the the XDI network and how what's the XDI's relationship with uh, the POA network team and and that whole thing and and talk about uh, the transaction fees and and how that's different from Ethereum. Uh, it's just an entirely different ecosystem that really is just kind of a smart smart contract link back and forth. Correct. That's that's right. Yeah, we really need Igor here. He could slay this question. But uh, basically, XDI is what they call a hard spoon of Ethereum, which I like giggle at every time I hear. But it's basically like you, you take all of Ethereum and it's like an exact copy, but starting over fresh. And to get ETH in that system, because it's not ETH, it's actually XDAI, right? So it's, so it's, an, it's an exact copy. And to get that uh, XDAI, you have to lock DAI up on one side. So, so to become a validator, you basically are, are a bridge and a validator to the blocks. And the bridge uh, basically sits between uh, the main net and the XDAI net. And what it does is you, you lock up DAI on the main net. And then they wait for enough confirmations, and then they mint you XDAI on the other side. And then it goes the other way around. You burn XDAI on one side. After enough uh, uh, confirmations, then you get die. You unlock the die on the other side. And then transaction fees are different, right? So how does that work on the XDAI network? 
Well, if you think of so if if you think of on Ethereum, uh, Gwei, right, or Gigaway, or however you guys pronounce that, when you when you deploy a contract, it costs like point zero 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 you know four or something like that to deploy that contract, and. 0.00004 Ethereum is actually still maybe like a couple bucks or something. It depends on the price of Ethereum. But if if since it's XDAI, the that that amount is like 0.00001 dollars, right? So it's like a fraction of a cent. So with a penny, you can make like hundreds of, hundreds of transactions. So for instance, for ETH Denver, we just airdropped everyone two cents. And it, yeah, that it was, was an like insane user experience trick. That was that was really really cool because I asked that was the first question I asked when um, when Rich sent me five dollars I was like well how how does somebody you know say how do I send basically I was wondering like how do transactions go through so with it without me having any ether and he was like oh yeah they whoever opens up a, how did it work whoever opens up a wallet under their Wi-Fi got airdropped die how did that work. So you started with a solid coin. So yeah, should we just go through the UX of sure. like ETH Denver? So you arrive at ETH Denver and you get a solid coin and that solid coin has a private key on it. So you hit that private key with your camera phone, just pull up your camera as if you're gonna take a picture of it. It reads that it's a QR code, drops you down a link, you click it. And what that does is actually seed a web wallet in Safari with your private key. And we've already dropped two cents of gas and then uh, like $30, $40, depending on who you were in the coins. And I think they kind of gave them out wrong. So some people only got like 16 bucks. That was a shame. But but basically, we airdropped out ahead. So, so your account was already loaded up with enough gas to make hundreds of transactions, and you had some tokens. So like we were talking about how XDAI is a, a copy of Ethereum, we deployed a token on that, right? So you've got Ethereum, and then you've got DAI, which is an ERC-20. That's getting locked up to create XDAI, which is on another network, but it's the native currency. And then on that native currency, we deployed a token. So if you think of the exchange, it's like XDAI to DAI, or I'm sorry, I said that wrong, ETH to DAI to XDAI to DAI is what it was called. So we had a token running on XDAI that we then minted to everybody, and they use that as their currency at the food trucks. A really cool, sorry to kind of hijack this, a really cool number there is at ETH Denver for, I think we sold 4,400 and some meals at the food trucks, and it's all on a public blockchain. You can see all the meals being purchased. It cost a, t a grand total, all the transaction fees, combined cost a grand total of 20 cents to run that on the XDAI network. Very cool. That's, that's insanely cool. Um, do you know how much U us dollar was spent for all the meals? Uh, yeah, it was about $38,000, $38,000 and 20 yep. cent total transactions and a 20 that's cents insane. total transaction fee. Exactly. I really like the, that illustration of the, the stack of the different networks kind of building off of each other. And that can, that's, I don't know what that will turn into when we envision this 20-year-old Ethereum blockchain system with all these different you know, plasma chains built on side chains, blah, 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 blah. But it kind of alludes to a potential like pretty complex but also pretty interestingly designed system of, of uh, consensus and validation of different stacks. And I don't, I don't know what will come out of that, but I think that the fact that that is possible might illustrate some, some pretty cool use cases in the future. If you so on the wallet, there's an exchange button. If you hit the exchange button, you actually get to see 
uh, the ETH to die to X die to Buffett die. We built it in natively into the wallet. So you can use Uniswap exchange to uh, go between ETH and die. You go to the bridge for die to X die, and then you kind of wrap ETH, like thinking of like WETH or wrapped ETH is how Buffett die works. So you can actually wrap X die up to get Buffett die. And what was the purpose of Buffett die separate from uh, X die? So controlling the economy, like, so what we wanted was like a local economy where the, like a local pop-up economy where the participants are uh, incentivized to spend, right? We, we, so at the maker after party, we just gave people X die on paper wallets, but they could basically just scan that in and walk out and, and have the $5 or whatever we gave them. But, but with Buffett die, it's, it's a token that basically is just a keepsake after the event. And what we did is we built the smart contract so only the vendors could off ramp and a couple other like vendors, like a couple people like sold some swag along the way that we had to like set them up as a vendor so they could off ramp. But basically only the food trucks could off ramp. So then all the users are basically incentivized to spend their money. So it, it like stimulates an economy uh, with, within the event. So this is a pretty interesting kind of like theory here, and it. I was going to ask you a different question, but I'm glad that you kind of talked about stimulating the economy by you know making it a keepsake. Like right now, I understand it's a very cool experience at events. I'm actually working for an event company in the space, putting on a Bitcoin conference, and we're working on like making it lightning enabled and stuff like that. Um, and really, that was very inspired by what you guys were doing at ETH Denver. Um, so. What I was going with that is like, do you think that like, you know, manufacturing like a pop up economy like that, that's going to like continue to like have a trend? Like, is it going to just be an event? Like, where else do you see that kind of being a thing? Well, it's, I think it's just so incredibly easy to use, right? Like, so, so preparing for ETH Denver, we wanted to emulate the, the user experience that people were going to have at the event so we could test out the wallet. So uh, for six weeks leading up to ETH Denver, we had an event each week on like a Wednesday or Thursday where what we would do is hand people a paper wallet at the door and then they would go to the, they would, they would scan it with their phone and then they would go to the bar and buy a beer with the money that we gave them. Uh, and and the, the point is we were able to just like walk into these bars. So we did this in all these towns in northern Colorado and, and southern Wyoming, just getting people involved, just trying to like figure out the UX, right? And we, we worked out so many issues by doing that. The point I'm getting to is we would walk into a bar and say, hey, we're going to have people come up to you and they're going to scan this QR code and you're going to see it. We're going to take your iPad. We, we took the iPad at the like at the bar and we pointed it at xdi.io and basically they have a wallet, right? Like there's no onboarding. There's no it, like to set up a POS system that can accept money. You type in xdi.io on an iPad and then you can either hit request or hit receive or there's a few other ways like like tricky ways, not tricky, but uh, kind of clever ways you can print out your QR codes on your bar and everything. But basically all it is is just an iPad that goes to a website. You point that iPad at a website and it's ready to accept money. So then the patrons would basically get that paper wallet, they'd scan it in, they'd take their phone up to the, the bar, they'd scan in the specific QR code for the beer they wanted, and it would show up right on the bartender's iPad and he would hand them a beer. And at the end of the night, I would off-ramp his tokens uh, and just hand him cash. So it was, it was like he didn't have any credit card fees. It was really easy user experience for him. And patrons got free beer to help me get my UX perfect, right? And so, they got paid instantly. They yep. got paid day of. Yep, exactly. So it's just, it's just like a compelling, like it's really easy to set up one of these POS systems. So it's like 
I don't know exactly where this this is gonna like what where this is gonna get used, but the fact is it's so easy to use. I don't I don't see why it wouldn't be used in a lot of places. I I can only imagine what some non crypto normie might have run into at that bar accidentally if they were in the wrong bar on the wrong night at Youth Denver and they go up to and ask for a beer and they get told it's six buff a die. <laughs> <laughs> What what we what we tried to do is make sure those guys got paper wallets at the door. Like you could see them walk in, you could tell they didn't know what they were doing. I handed them a paper wallet and I said, "Pull out your phone, take a pull out your camera, just like you're taking a picture, and point it at that little. There's like a little secret key in the inside. And anybody, you don't have to be crypto initiated. You point your camera at it and you like it just pulls up a wallet and it has money in it. And it, and it's like intuitive, right? So then they just go up to the bar and they hit scan and they buy a beer. So it wasn't just crypto initiated people using this. It was it was everybody at the bar. Wow, very cool, very cool. Um, yeah, that's just that's insane. Uh, and and XDI and Buffetdi and that this whole system, this was started as a pet project, as like a side project of yours, correct? Right, exactly. Yeah, there there was no real funding there until like eventually. I think I got hired. I got hired right around the time of DevCon four, which was sort of where I was showing this thing off. And I got hired as the director of research at Getcoin, which meant that like I just would pick up weekly projects like let's go figure out what counterfactual instantiation really means and, and make a little simple demo of it and write about it and make a, a like a screencast of it. Same same thing with uh, like uh, payment channels or or native meta transactions. I would just tackle these like weekly projects. And so as we got closer to ETH Denver, we realized that like okay, this, this wallet is actually could be used to eat Denver. And I focused on it for probably like a month and a half. And I had some, some help. Uh, my buddy, Brian Ethier was kind of my, my right hand man on man on that. And we just kind of partnered up and, and wailed on getting the, the burner wallet ready to go rich at maker Dow and obviously Igor with POA and, uh, our intern Eduardo, we, we just kind of just all teamed up and just banged out this, this, uh, wallet and got it ready and then did those UX studies. But yeah, it started sort of started as a pet project and then kind of just became the wallet of ETH Denver. It was really cool. So the Burner Wallet is one of the few crypto products that has been live and tested and actually used for a pretty pretty decently sized um, event. So out of that event and kind of from what you were working on earlier, what kind of like design improvements would you like to see or get implemented into uh, the Burner Wallet? Oh man! So we have a giant list. It, what I'm what I'm looking forward to is hopefully getting some help either with grant funding or or something from consensus to kind of staff up a little bit. So right now I'm just Gitcoin Labs. It would be nice if we could get a small team behind the burner and and kind of really build it out. There's there's a giant to do list of things to do and it's growing in the wrong direction. I would love to have some help from a couple developers and maybe a designer to just start you know knocking out some of those to dos and getting this thing you know really production ready. We we were able to sort of trial by fire get it to work at ETH Denver and it was fine. But there's that you know it it takes a couple seconds to load up. There's there's a lot of things that I would love to see improved. And, and it just is going to take time and, and effort from developers to really get this thing where it needs to be, especially if we want to see this thing, uh, you know, penetrate South American markets. We're going to have to get this thing, you know, super smooth, super intuitive, super easy. It's already translated to a lot of languages, but we've got a lot more languages to do. What are some of those things that, that could be improved? Can you go into the specifics? 
So like I, like speed is the number one thing that bothers me right now. Like it just takes it takes like a few seconds or more to load up, and it just bugs me every time. I I, I want to just like have it instantly. I, I mean, there's a giant to do list, but it has to do with UX. It has to do with speed. It has to do uh, with simplicity. Just just a lot of like small tweaks to make the thing work better. It works. It worked at East Denver, but it could work so much better. So something that I'm kind of noticing here is you have a like you're very very particular about like what you want to get out of the experience of using this wallet. Can you kind of like describe what the perfect wallet is and like what do you think it takes and then maybe even zoom out and say like you know what pisses you off about how UX is being developed in this space right now? Like and how how do you think people need to reframe in order to make products that are simple and easy and you know hopefully viral? It's it's so cool because I you know I'm not alone here. Like I think that there's if you look at DevCon four, if you look at a lot of the conferences uh, in in recent history, UX is becoming a big thing. People people in the space are realizing that it's like time to focus on UX and even make some trade offs here and there. So so there's not anything that really pisses me off. Like we just need to do a better job of it, right? We're kind of we're we're nerds playing with a very technical piece of of um, software here and a lot of times we focus a lot on the smart contracts and obviously your smart contracts have to be solid, but it's, it's the whole experience of the user and the user needs to be able to just, I mean, speaking for what a wallet needs to do, I need to be able to send you money. Like that's, I mean, it's just plain and simple, like get out of my way and let me send you money. Right. That's what a wallet should do. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And it's one of those things like this was the very first vision of crypto as a whole like this was what we wanted to do like quick fast permissionless cheap transactions with a a currency that's not controlled by a nation state um yep and and so one thing we haven't talked about is lightning yeah i think i think you want to get to that hinted about lightning oh man so so uh Lightning and the burner, and and I see it every once in a while. I'll see a tweet where someone says like Lightning versus Fire, because like the burner is kind of like that fire icon. First of all, like they're like a thousand times bigger, right? I think the market cap is like two million in Lightning, and I think it's about ten k in XDAI. But the point is, we're we're both on the same team, and we're both moving toward better UX. So I like love the night the Lightning network. I love the idea of it. I think that. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how the technology works, but someone needs to basically build a burner wallet that runs on Lightning. Basically, like put your keeper. I don't, I'm not exactly how sure how Lightning works, but put put a seed phrase in a in a browser and make a make a burner Lightning wallet. Someone needs to do it. So they're working on technology to make that possible, but right now every Lightning wallet has to be connected to a Lightning full node, which is connected to a Bitcoin full node. Oh, so okay, sure. So you're going to need an app. Yeah, they're working on technology yeah. to enable it. So um, essentially, it's like a Lightning Light client, um, which would make that something that is achievable. But right now, it's just not feasible. Okay, cool. Yeah, like I said, I don't know anything about it. But I, all I know is like they have the same idea. Like we need to make this UX quick. You need to be able to buy coffee with this. And to be able to buy coffee, you can't be waiting 10 minutes for a block to be mined. Or even, honestly, even for an Ethereum block, it takes too long. Yeah. So actually, I kind of want to, this this is pretty interesting. So Lightning is like, kind of like scaling by creating a different like type of a network. Whereas it seems like XDAI, POA, a lot of this sidechain stuff is scaling by creating like other blockchains. So still the same format of like a blockchain, but, you know, faster, cheaper, whatever, kind of abstracting away from, you know, the slow Ethereum blocks 
Um, like, how do you think about those two different approaches to scaling? Do you think one is more sustainable? I, I, when I, whenever I get asked this question, even like when people talk about other Ethereum layer two solutions, I, it's all a means to an end. Like, like y- you need to be as decentralized as you can, but at the same time, you need to make the trade-off and you need to make the UX good. If you can be fully decentralized and you can have smooth UX, then you're good. But the point is that like the, the paramount issue is that it has to be smooth UX, right? No clunky seed phrases being typed in, none of that stuff. Like it has to just work right the first time and it has to just be like easy onboarding and that's fine for small amounts of money but then as someone gets 30 40 50 dollars in their burner wallet let's let's say okay now that you have something to protect you're probably much more likely to uh, listen to a little education around a seed phrase or a wallet download or a lot of other things so so they're much more incentivized once they have a little bit and it's just about getting them over that hump of getting the little bit and getting it working and let's make that hump as small as possible Absolutely. Nothing in the crypto space motivates more learning and education than actually owning the asset. Uh, that's that's why I always tell tell my friend with uh, learning about Maker is like, you won't learn about Maker until you open up a CDP. So go do that. And that's how you'll figure out what it's all about. And it's super easy to open up a CDP now. Yeah. It's like uh-huh. a couple clicks. Like yeah. two clicks. So cool. It's two clicks now. Yeah. Yeah. Christian, do you have any more questions about Lightning? Cool. I mean, like in general, like it seems like you're very, very focused on UX. Like where do the trade-offs go too far, you think? Like, I guess, you know, if this is just kind of a macro conversation, right? So when we're talking about we need to make things as usable as possible, like where does that too far do you think that those conversations go? My friend Saya at Bitsky uh, always says that every you should have the optionality, right? You should have the choice to do things any way you want. But I'm kind of a little bit against uh, custodial accounts, right? I think it's better when the user controls their own private key. So if I had to draw a line in the sand, it would be a very, very soft line, but it would be right at custodial versus non-custodial. What, what do you think about that, David? Is that is that in line with the rest of the Ethereum community or not? No, I, yeah, I totally agree. And back to what I just said about my friend opening up a CDP, like it only counts for learning if you're the one doing it because you need the skin in the game. And if you're just asking somebody else to do the effort for you, well, it's, then it's just the whole old, the same old handholding that we've seen with banks, you know, managing our funds and stuff. So like it, you got you have to be the one that might lose the money. Or else you don't lose any, you don't learn anything. Or it's Mount Gox. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you guys think that there will be a world where the majority of people control their keys to some extent? I think so. I think we're moving that way, especially with like M of N wallets and social recovery. And there's a lot of ways where we can deploy a smart contract that acts as your wallet, and you can sign meta transactions and interact with that smart contract through delegated execution. And you can also have like basically your 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 wallet is just a smart contract that then whitelists your devices to send and receive stuff. So then I can I can whitelist my phone to send up to ten dollars. The key that lives on my phone really doesn't have a whole lot of, uh, uh, of value or permission, just enough to move what I need it to. And then, and then if there's, if I ever lose something, I can go to my other like three of four or three of five or two of two of three or something like that. If I lose one of my keys, I can go to the other ones and immediately generate a new key and have it set up. So, so I'm ready to go with that social recovery, or I can give each one of you guys like a shard of my key. And if I ever lose it, I can go to you guys and say, Hey, let's all get together and get my key back. Right. Yeah. I, I think, 
to answer your question, Christian, I think a large amount of people will start to own their own private keys when we figure out the decentralized identities issue. Um, kind of what Austin was talking about is having like a, a social safety net where you kind of have like your your local um, other identities. So like my local identities would be like Hunter, my roommate is a person that has an identity that's local to me. And my mother is a person that has an identity that's local to me. And as soon as like there's this local network of identities established around me, um, uh, which would, however, a decentralized identity gets managed, uh, that's kind of going to be this social safety net of private key, uh, protection, uh, where, where I can have like a network of people all kind of once enough of them come and say like, Hey, we need to restore David's private key, uh, because David, you know, got, got mugged and left, left for dead in, in Mexico and we need to get him back. Uh, and something like I don't know some crazy scenario like that. That once that level of infrastructure is is here, people will be a little bit more comfortable owning their own private keys, and then also other things will have developed that make private key management a lot easier. Yeah, when someone says, "Oh crap, I forgot my seed phrase. How do I recover my password?" and then like you have to like talk them down from the the window ledge because there's there's no coming back from that when it's a single seed phrase and it protects all your money and it's like. If someone could break that, then the, whole, the entire system falls apart. So, like, it's it's inherently supposed to work like that. So, a single seed phrase has to be protected, and probably we need like the social recovery where you have an M of N set of of accounts. So, if you lose one, you can go back and and kind of you know whether it's a dead man switch or or social recovery or something else. There's a lot of different ways. I kind of take Andreas's Antonopoulos's view on on this, where he talks about unstoppable code and how the base layer blockchain must be unstoppable or else you know you get pretty bad second third fourth order consequences as a result i kind of see that as the the base layer of private key management where the base layer must be one single private key but we're going to be able to build second layers on top of that where uh, the private key is abstracted away, and then there is some more intuitive, more um, fractured way to get at a, a private key that is abstracted away from the user and accessible by multiple different different ways to get there. Um, I would like to use more concrete language, but I mean, these things are just concepts at the moment. Um, but again, like, it's one of those things where like the cryptocurrency world and especially with infrastructure on ethereum like it kind of it's like a sudoku puzzle where there's one thing that needs to get built before like seven other things can get built because like okay so i i have that this thing that all these other things uh are dependent on and in order to build that thing i'm stuck because i have to build this other thing but once i build that first thing then i can build the second thing then i can build the third and fourth thing and then it kind of spirals out of control um or hopefully into control uh, we're not, we're not, we're still trying to figure out like the hardest part of the Sudoku in my opinion. Um, but once this thing rolls, I think it'll really get rolling. And is that identity or is that UX? identity is, is that like onboarding? A, a big one, uh, because okay. identity, I think will be a UX enabler. A lot of the technologies where I think that we're missing are really enablers for other technologies. Dai was a big enabler. Uh, I think identity will be a huge enabler. However, whoever solves that problem, um, you know, Microsoft is working on that problem. Uh, I'm I'm working on that problem with a client of ours at Bunker Capital. Uh, there's so many people working on that problem. As soon as it gets solved, 
uh, I think a lot of, and, and uh, there's uh, going to be a lot more things that can be built. Like we might actually ha have a real life decentralized Facebook or Twitter or something based on real, real identities. And that will be, that's, it's funny. Like Peepeth is, is kind of like a decentralized Twitter kind of, right? Like it's, it's very close. And, and what I, what I was going to allude to is that it may not be this identity for the entire network. It may be up to the DAP itself to kind of create identity within its own ecosystem. Like I can go on to Peepith right now and there's everybody's basically their name and their 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 address and, and their entire narrative is all there. And so there's almost like an identity created there. And I could send somebody some money to that address, but maybe it's not their like huge Ethereum identity. Like it's maybe they don't have like austingriffith.eth behind that. It's just their identity within that ecosystem. So it's, it's almost like maybe we're going at it from the wrong way. If we're trying to create a global identity on Ethereum, maybe we should be trying to create these like small pockets of identity. Actually, I really like this point and in the kind of folks who are talking about identity in the Lightning Network, they kind of talk about it as in a local fact, like more of a local perspective as well, where it's very much like this node has this reputation and that's kind of like your internet identity. And you can kind of like, you know, move around the internet with this kind of identity on your Lightning node and your reputation. Um, and, and I kind of agree. I feel like the kind of global identity is really tricky. I feel like there's kind of just a lot of like, Outside of your like bio, you know, um, your your bio information, like your your uh, your fingerprint, your face scan, what that kind of stuff. Um, there's kind of just a lot of like wet code around like who you are and proving that into who. So I feel like you know, we're gonna have to see some major changes in the world around us before like an inner like a global internet identity is something that's feasible, even if the technology is there. Yeah, it it's. It probably it's possibly an unsolvable problem uh and it's going to take some sort of i think subjectivity unless we really want to boil it down to strictly dna uh and i think even dna i don't think i think people will find other reasons to trust someone based on like i think one d way of establishing identity is is saying like okay here's here's a person here's their twitter account here's their facebook page here is their birthday address here is all these other like social uh, constructions, and then they put them all together, and 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 that is their identity. And then the, you can also prove that no one else is using that same Twitter account, and no one else is using that same Facebook account, and they even uploaded a picture of their ID. And so that's one way to create an identity, and all that's all that's wet, right? And and I think people might um, trust that sort of identity more than they would you know, fingerprint and face scan, because that's just going to be like a, an API check, yes or no, if that person is, is, is that fingerprint or not. And it should be mentioned that like a public-private key pair is an identity. And, yes. and your, your private key can sign something to prove that only you have that private key, right? Or, or that at least it can prove that you have that private key. I guess it doesn't prove that no one else has it, but, but that, that is an identity in itself, right? And you can generate thousands of those in a second without anybody's permission. And that's, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely value in having real-world identity and anonymous identity. And we've seen that in Web 2.0 as well. Oh, that's good. So sorry to bring it back to the burner, but that's one thing that we would really like to see is basically zero knowledge and 
uh, anonymous transactions. You know, you can you can generate a burner from from a seed phrase. You can type in some human uh, some brain wallet into the advanced section, and you can just create a wallet. You can transact with that back and forth, and then you can burn it. So it's very like quick and ephemeral. But if we could put like zk snarks over the top of that, or or use Aztec's note system, where basically no one like they can see that money is being moved around, but they can't. I, I think they can see who it is, but they can't see how much. And so you just like add a bunch of noise to the system, and eventually it's like almost impossible to trace and that that's i think like i'm not i'm not trying to do anything illegal or bad but i think it's just important for our ethos to be able to have that kind of stuff somebody one eth denver team was hacking on uh x and the burner wallet and created that didn't they that's right yeah I, i've been in close contact with them so they they were called z but now i think they're going to be called zk wallet or something like that but okay. it's basically zero knowledge the the problem right now is you have to crunch pretty hard on on a problem to to send a transaction so right now it, it takes a couple minutes on a new phone to send one of those transact transactions, but they're they're working on it, and I, I bug them every day about it. So it, yeah, there's there's a lot of cool stuff. I, I think Aztec is probably the best right now. Uh, Zach is their engineer, and he's just he's like five times smarter than me. I know maybe ten times smarter than me, right? You know when you meet someone that's just like, whoa, this guy is way more intelligent. Than <laughs> but like it takes it takes someone like that to build a system like this. And I think that they I think Aztec is 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 leading the way in that. And I would love to see Aztec notes get bridged in to a network like XDI, where where Aztec exists on the main net and you get a set of notes and then those notes can be bridged across to a side chain. So then you have like these sort of uh, pseudo anonymous transactions that happen on this other network and then they get bridged back and it's something that i think igor and aztec is i think they're both looking at it so it's kind of exciting can you explain for our listeners the notes part of aztec just just in case they aren't familiar and you know maybe i i'm not either so i can do the best i can but basically you can you you put money into the contract and then you can send these notes and i think that someone can see the address but they can't see the amount and so you can set a bunch of zero amount notes also. So I could basically like spray thousands of transactions and in there somewhere is one of them that actually has value that goes to a person. And then they can do that same thing over and over and over again. And then eventually they can off ramp and it's, it's similar to a mixer, but it's not a mixer. Uh, but basically they can off ramp that uh, back to die uh, in the long run. And it's, you can see people coming in and out and you can see stuff being sent around, but you can't see how much. I think that's it. So, I mean, I think that the anonymous transactions is something that's pretty interesting. And at least in the Bitcoin community, there's a lot of like conversation about how like making the tokens anonymous should happen on the second layer and it shouldn't even happen on the base layer just to ensure that there's always like maximum auditability of the chain. Um, obviously, if you're using side chains to scale, stuff like that, you know, you're going to have to, you know, if you want anonymity, you have to create some sort of zero knowledge or mixing function in order to do that, just because that's the nature of how a blockchain works is that everyone sees uh, every single transaction. Um, like, what do you think about that? And do you think that that might be an issue in Ethereum where, you know, folks want to take Ethereum private on the base layer and others don't? Man, I don't I don't know if I even have the background to speak to that. I I, I, I 
I don't know that much about it enough to really talk about. It. I, I would say that I think that this system kind of operates at almost a, an L2 level where it is it is a contract and you're moving notes and those notes are transactions on chain. But the I mean, you, you always bridge back to the native token and it's always on public, uh, you know, always public and, and viewable. But but yeah, I, I don't think I can answer that with with a full and intellectual answer. <laughs> I, I can't articulate a good answer to that. It sounds like we're pushing you to your limit, Austin. That's it. Yep. <laughs> I was gonna say the funny thing is that you're definitely a lot smarter than me. So the fact that I can ask a hard question is impressive. So I'll pat myself on the back. Do you uh, okay. do you have a burner wallet? Have you guys set up burner wallets yet? Oh, I have. Do you have yeah. one on your phone? Uh, what so, about you, Christian? I have had one, yeah. <laughs> Christian, you want to tell him the oh, story? Man. So this is ready. Get out, so get out your camera phone. Right, get out your camera it, phone. Baby. Let's see if this works. So so this this is actually just a QR code that should take you to the site. It might try to like claim something, but I if you point you your it. camera phone at it. Wait, hold it, is it, hold it still. Okay. <laughs> Live demo. There's like some kind of a... Uh... Did it go? It's not like... Oh, here we go. Boom. All right, it just opened up. Is this, is this Christian Burner Wallet Redemption? So last time I got confused because of MetaMask. Oh, yeah, you don't want MetaMask. It. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of like so a stepping stone MetaMask, MetaMask pops up, and I haven't used it for a long time since I bought a CryptoKitty. Yeah. But it says I have 15 ETH in there, and then my greedy ass is like, oh, shoot, I got to like put this 15 ETH on my on my wallet. Um, so I just totally moved the ETH, but it was actually 15 die um on the po on the poa network uh so you know my greedy ass got nothing and i lost the die so what you can actually do is go to your wallet that you sent it to and you can grab that private key then you can open a uh an incognito window and point it at xdi.io and go to the advanced section and just paste that private key in and it will generate that wallet in in xdi and then you could move that that xdi out of there so there, there are ways to get it back yeah there might be true redemption right here. Yep. I knew there was ways. I just wasn't going to figure it out. But yeah. now that you, the creator of the wallet is with us. <laughs> yeah, go to that advanced section. There's lots of little sneaky things in there. So what? Where, so it, where did the wallet... It's like claiming Okay, right yeah. Now. So if you hit... Yeah, if you hit X there, just X out of that. Yeah, yeah. This is... Uh, and then just show me your receive code. Yeah, there we go. So now... Uh, yeah, it's a little, you kind of have to like, uh, maybe tilt it around. There's like a little bit of, oh, that's it right there. There we go. I got it. Okay. So now if you watch your balance, so basically what happened is the first QR code just took you to xdi.io. You could have just typed in xdi.io, but, uh, now you just showed me your public key and I'm going to send you 25 cents and hit send. So it should take about five seconds. Uh, on the network, and you should see twenty five cents show up on yours. Yep, got yeah. it. Yeah, yep. There we go. So that's it. I'll wow. I'll uh, I'll send you a little collectible here too. So you got some uh, also, NFTs on there. Oh, you know I do. You know I do. So also, uh, if you go look at your history down there at the bottom, you should see that like I sent you twenty five cents. Oh, you have cents. hella NFTs. Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> so if you actually click that it's a it's chat like i can say hello to you right now and it's gonna send that in the data field of another transaction 
And so what you can do is waves at each other and it's like sets up this ceremony where the two sides exchange public keys. So your Ethereum address is actually a hash of your public key. So you don't have that right away, but a wave actually sets it up. So the ceremony happens. So I have your public key, you have my public key. And then I start encrypting messages with that public key. So then it uses your native Ethereum key pair to send you an encrypted message on chain on a public blockchain where everyone can see it come through, but they can't read it. So we can actually like chat with in the burner wallet uh, fully encrypted. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's, and that takes gas, right? Uh, yeah, but it's so little, like hundreds, hundreds of messages for a penny, right? Yeah, right. It's not, no gas. All right, dude, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you a painting of mine. Let's see. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the rhino. <laughs> <laughs> this is so crazy. <laughs> so these, do you, go ahead. could this yeah. potentially be integrated into status? Uh, yeah. So we do, we do respect status deep links. So if someone were to scan a QR code that's supposed to take you to a deep link within status, it, it'll take you to a page on the burner where you can purchase things. Uh, yeah. So you should have gotten like a rhino. D did you get it? Did it show up? Oh, it's I like got a, it. It's like I a little collectible. I got the 25 cents. Yeah. If, so if you yeah. go to it and like click it and kind of scroll around, you'll see it. It's like a little pog that spins. Yeah. See that? Isn't that cool? Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's a holdover from my pog days when i created cryptogs about a year ago <laughs> Dope. this is like the most christian has ever interacted with the ethereum block right there we go <laughs> hey no i bought a crypto kitty and i i mine true. eth right now too so that's awesome Very true. Come, get at me haters <laughs> that's great <dude. laughs> oh man awesome this has been a great uh interview thanks so much for for coming on the podcast christian do you have any last questions for austin before we let him go no, this is a cool way to end. Thanks a lot for uh, for helping me play around with it uh, again. Like, I feel like a lot of people have like these really strong narratives, but ultimately we're all on the same team here, and exactly. we're all trying to make um, you know technology that empowers individuals and um, you know is making the world a better place. So uh, I'm you know super stoked for everything good that's happening in every aspect of this space, and I know that Austin's been kicking ass. So. Super honored to have you on POV Crypto. Austin, uh, why don't you tell us, you know, or tell the, the audience, you know, who you want to hear from. Tell them where they can find you on the internet, all that good stuff. So I just sent you a collectible, and you can click on that collectible, and it takes you right to my website, austingriffith.com. Wow. <laughs> wow. But Okay, for any of you listeners who want to try out the XDAI wallet, send us a picture of your public key QR code, and I'll send you some DAI, and then I'll convince Austin to send you an NFT too. Absolutely. Yeah, we've been doing that on Twitter where we just so so you don't even have to post your uh, your public key. What you can do is post a request. So if you go into the wallet, if you go to xdai.io, xdai.io, and then you click the request button, you can actually type in like, hey, I would like to request, you know, like five cents. And you can even put a message like trying it out. Right. And then when you hit when you hit request, it's actually going to give you uh, a QR code and a link and you can paste that link into Twitter and anyone can follow that link. And it's going to take them to a page where they can pay you that five cents or whatever and have that little message. And that message goes like on chain with everything else. That's how we did with with vendors at ETH Denver. You would like scan the meal that you wanted and it would have the meal as the, the little name, the word there. But basically what, what we're looking for, it would be great to get some more developers, maybe a designer. We're hoping to get a little bit of funding behind the burner we'll see how that works out but i mean just just keep building stuff like on both sides like i want to see the lightning network grow i want to see the the burner network go i, I want to see ethereum get 
mass adoption. And uh, I'm really excited to see that, but we're going to have to make some trade-offs and we're going to have to build some awesome stuff before my gam gam can get on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Does uh, the Burner Wallet have a GitHub bounty uh, possibility? Or is oh, that, yeah. or is there, okay, cool. We have lots of Gitcoin bounties. Yeah, Bitcoin, so if you go to Git, if you go to Gitcoin and, and, and type in the burner wallet, there's a couple of them there. There's lots of issues too that we probably will bounty once we have more funding. There's also a Gitcoin grant. So Gitcoin grants are like recurring meta transactions that, that send die to the, the end user. I, I forgot I should have shilled Gitcoin harder. You still have a chance. <laughs> Gitcoin grants for the burner. I'm shilling, I'm shilling, it's working. <laughs> but yeah, so there's a Gitcoin grant for the burner wallet where you can sign up to send like just a recurring amount, like $5 a month. And that $5 is, is going to go to an account where you can track it on chain. And what we're doing is taking that money and we're bountying out things like translate this to German, right? So, so there's lots of bounties and lots of work to be done. We can use all the help we can get. Uh, uh, I'm at Austin Griffith on Twitter and Telegram and all that, so hit me up. All right, Austin, again, thanks for coming on the podcast. Huge honor. Christian, any last comments? No, that's all I got as well. You can find the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. David, where can they find you? You can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. And also, please be humble in your requests. We're not going to send you like $10. So, so no, you know, a couple pennies, maybe a dollar. You'll, you'll see. David and Christian, thank you so much for having me on. It was awesome. Oh, of course, of course. We'll have you on. We'll have you on uh, as soon as uh, Burner Wallet gets, you know, a bunch of money, which will inevitably come and, and you can make some <laughs> crazy breakthrough. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Austin. Thanks, guys. All right. Sweet. Bye. Cheers.